Good evening, and welcome you back on this Mother's Day evening. Glad that you are here, and uh, hope that you've had a, a good day of honoring a very special lady in your life, if you've done so today. As we are doing on Sunday night, we are in a series called God's Amazing Grace, where we look at the stories of God's goodness to his people, not necessarily just in the eternal sense of the gift of grace through Jesus Christ, his son, which, of course, is the pinnacle of grace, but, but the ways in which God poured out himself and gave people that which they did not deserve or earn throughout the story of God's people. I ask you tonight... How do you handle change? Uh, I was told one time, and I thought it was a pretty good rule of thumb, that there are two universal truths of, about change. The first is the universal truth, number one, nobody likes change. And universal truth number two is nobody likes the way things are. Now, understanding these two truths understands that uh, why in times of change can be very stressful certainly upon God's people, as we transition in leadership, as we transition with uh, the folks who serve, the transition in our own lives. Think about this. You are in a state of constant change yourself. I don't know how old you are, but uh, however old you are, plus about nine months or so, uh, since that process began, you have been constantly either multiplying and growing in cells or gradually losing cells. You are, you are the same person, and yet you're constantly in change. There was one time when you existed as a little baby, and yet all of the parts of you that were a little baby no longer exist, and yet you are still you. It's the way God has worked into the great uh, part of the entire Part all of creation is that the only constant is that things are continually in change. God has created four seasons, at least in theory. Uh, we we sometimes you know like spring I think was three days this year, for, <laughs> but He has created a constant, dependable. We we understand that this time of year is going to be either spring or early summer. But we understand that, that that's going to happen in May of 2019, in May of 2020, in May 2220, if the Lord tarries that long. It, it's just constant. It's the promise which is given to us that, that throughout our lives will be seasons of change and that even in our own lives there will be a lot of change. People don't like that because... It's good to get comfortable. We get comfortable and safe. We sort of like where things are. And the idea that that would change in any sort of way causes stress to the system. But whether you like it or not, your life is going to contain lots of change. You are changing right now. And in many years from now, you will continue to change. What do you do when change comes upon your life? And upon the life in the life of your faith, well, we're going to talk a little bit about how this was dealt with in Israel's history, a time when things changed quite drastically. If you'll turn in your Bibles or scroll on your iPad or your phone to Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, 
we read these books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, as, you know, just kind of sort of say them and recite them. The children learn them in that order. But you, I, for a person who was a descendant of Israel, coming to the book of Joshua is a little bit of a, a change in their lives. See, the first, uh, the first five books of the Bible were written in... As far as we know, probably most likely written by Moses. He was their leader. He was the person who had brought them this far. And he recounted the history and the law and uh, the way in which God had brought them. But Moses, being human, was finite and came to an end. And so Joshua, there's this new kid in town. Not really a new kid. They knew him pretty well, but albeit, you can rest assured it was a big change in the history of Israel, to no longer hear the thund- thundering, booming voice of Moses or Charlton Heston, but instead to see this younger general who they had watched in battle now be their leader. The book of Joshua begins in this, in this way. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates, to all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people who inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right nor to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do that everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. This morning we talked about the gifts that a mother gives you. And, of course, as we study these stories of grace, we understand that God has certainly blessed his people with Gifts again and again, and not the least of which of those is the leadership, the people that God has equipped and called to lead his people. And that that process continues even today. It will continue a hundred years from now. And, And anytime there's a shift from in the leadership or in the life of the body of God's people, there's sort of this pause There's this natural reaction to change, especially change in leadership. And so God tells Joshua, I was with Moses, 
and I'm going to be with you. What made Moses great is going to be what makes you great. That is me. And if I'm with you, you don't have anything to worry about. Be strong and courageous. Listen to what I say. Meditate on my words. Practice my words. Put the, do what I say to do, and you are going to be great. You are going to be successful. You will be prosperous wherever you go. And I think God could have added, though he didn't, not just wherever you go, but with whoever leads you. Some principles among God's people. It's not about the people. It's about the creator who blesses those people and blesses them to lead in different ways. Tonight's story contains a gift from God that would be a, a true source of strength to Israel. But Israel, as is common with God's people, tended to think that that true source of strength uh, came from a person and really didn't. So we're going to start by looking at what their strength was not in. First, their strength was not in Moses. This is interesting. Verse 1, if you go back to the beginning of this section, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of, uh, of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses was well-known, not just by God. We've talked about him meeting God face-to-face and the legacy that he had. But he was not just well-known by God as a friend of God, but he was well-known by God's people as a friend of God. He was well-known and well-loved. He was there for some big moments. If you want to think of the, the birth of the nation of Israel... Moses was right there in those early moments, whether we're talking about the ten plagues, as they watched God lay siege to the foreign gods of Egypt one at a time, as they are called upon in the middle of the night and and kicked out of the most prosperous country in the world and led out, as they heard the, the, the cries and the screams and the agony of losing the firstborn, as they left in the middle of the night and then left Egypt and then walked through the Red Sea, as they watched Moses deliver God's law symbolically uh, with those ten, with those two tablets and the ten commands that he gave them. Of course, that was not all of the, the old law, but Moses was there for that. Moses chiseled out the second version. Moses was a big part of not just having a relationship with the Lord, but watching and guiding God's people in the process and through the process with God. Moses was a leader for 40 years. A generation and a half. I was asking Craig Greenwood tonight, what year is this for family camp? And it's... it's a. Uh, there was some debate between he and Becky, so I'll go with Becky on this one. Uh, 35, 34, 35 years. Okay, well, that's well over a, a generation of Northsiders. And Moses was there for over 40. And even though he was a leader of God's people for a length of time, don't misunderstand, he was not the leader of God's people. That's why it's called God's people. He was God's servant. And God can raise up servants from anyone who's willing. 
Jesus said uh, to the people of his day, God can make the rocks worship him if he desires to. It's no special thing if you've been called to be a leader of God. God's, that's God's choosing and that's God's doing. But don't think of yourself more than you ought just because God chose you. God can make that happen from anyone. The best of God's leaders are those who realize they are totally unqualified and inept by themselves. Those who understand, God, if I'm going to do this, you're going to have to be with me. You're going to have to show yourself and show your glory and be with me. And this is the promise that he makes to Joshua again and again. Now, Moses is dead. Verse 2, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready. I mean, this sort of sounds very unceremonious. Moses, that great guy who you loved, who had led you through these big moments in your life, who had you had been with, who your children's children probably knew, that, that, that you had watched, you knew his voice, that you knew his personality, and now he's dead, and you just say, now then. As if it's just a small little comma in your story. Again, remember, the focus is not upon the person or the people that God uses. It's about the author and the story that he is writing. The characters will change. But the author remains constant. And it's about his story, not about ours. Well, now then, get ready. I've got a new leader for you, but their strength is not in Joshua either. Verse 2. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm going to give to them, to the people of Israel. He's giving them the promised land, the land that Moses only was able to look into. Joshua will see the reality. Pretty cool opportunity. Prime placement, front row seat to watch God work. Let me think about who Joshua was. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, which in my Bible is on the same page, so fairly easy to turn to. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord commanded what the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua was called and as the book of Joshua says he was an aide to Moses and we're going to look at that a little bit more but he he was he it wasn't just some unknown guy Joshua had received the blessing, the laying on of hands from Moses himself. Moses surely knew that there was a time coming. Obviously, he knew he would not see the reality of the promised land. So he knew someone else would lead them there. And in Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, it's made clear that Joshua is going to be the one. Joshua is qualified. He was battle-tested. The story you remember of uh, um the Israelites battling the Amalekites. This is the story where when Moses raises his hand, which is the Jewish posture of prayer, 
As long as his hands up were up, the Israelites were winning the battle, and so they had to hold his hands up for a time. What well, do you know what? Well, Moses was praying. It was Joshua who was slaying. He was the one who was in the middle of the battle. Now, which of, of those two was more important? Well, they were both very important. One was doing the spiritual battle. One was doing the physical battle. Very important. And so Joshua and Moses worked together, and certainly Joshua was qualified. Numbers chapter 11, verse 28, says that Joshua was Moses' assistant from his youth. Now, how old exactly he was when he was, was called uh, to be uh, Moses' aide, Moses' assistant, the Bible doesn't clearly say, but from youth. He had served with Moses and for Moses for a long time. They were used to working together. He bravely explored the promised land. After this, he will be one of the explorers who will be brave and say, oh, we can take this. Sure, the land's huge. Sure, the people are monstrous, but, but we can do it. But for as much as the people may or may not love Joshua, someday too, Joshua will die. And God's story will continue to be written. In fact, if you want to turn in Joshua chapter 24, we can go to the very last moment of Joshua's life. Joshua chapter 24, verse 29. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Maybe the people got excited when Joshua was beginning to lead them. Of course, this was new and different things. But my point is to try to draw us into a bit more of God's eternal perspective. Their strength was not in Moses. Their strength was not even in Joshua. And their strength was not within the promised land. Going back to Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river to to the from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite countries, to the great sea on the west, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Now, the promised land, as we learned last week, was huge and wonderful. It was more, I think, more than they could dare to even imagine or dream of. In fact, it was so big and so good that when they got in it, it frightened them. I mean, like, they have, they have level jumped several levels as a country You don't get to this type of land unless you've got fortified cities and strong men and mighty armies. And it's taken centuries to build that up. And alliances, you know, the the whole process of growing as a nation. And they were just like, you know, they jumped from maybe level 1 to level 11. And they didn't have to go through all the stuff that most nations had to go through. It scared them. Uh, The boundaries from Mediterranean Sea on the west to the Euphrates River on the east... From Lebanon in the north down to the wilderness of the Nile on the south. What made it wonderful was not its size. What made it amazing was not what it contained, the the milk, the honey, the fruit, the figs that we talked about last week. But rather that it was from a gift from the Lord. That it was his. 
that he was gifting it, that he was giving it as a measure of grace to them. This promise was a promise that had been centuries in the making. Uh, All the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, in Abraham's story. And we read about this when we studied Abraham. Chapter 12, verse 7, he promises Abram. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. The promise was made, and it was just as good from the moment God made it until the moment they entered into it, even refusing to believe it. And there is a temptation that comes in living a good and prosperous land. There's a temptation in living in a nation that is very wealthy. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because once they enter the land, uh, they will be subject certainly to this temptation. In fact, I think they'll fight it in their continuing journey as a country. Be careful to follow every command. We're in chapter 8, verse 1 of Deuteronomy, if you care to follow alone. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you. Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God walking in his ways, revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and where you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. This land that they... Our entering in is so big and so good and so impossible for them to understand how rich and good it is. And so very much unlike the wilderness that they've been going through. Remember, they traveled from from through the desert and, and from one place going without water for several days. And now here they are in a land flowing with milk and honey with pools of water, streams of water, all sorts of fruit and good things. What does God have to say? Verse 10. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the Lord your God, for the Lord your God, for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when you and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then, verse 14, your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert. That thirsty and waterless land with his venomous snakes and scorpions, he brought you water out of the desert Uh, Out of the hard rock, he gave you manna to eat in the desert, 
something you, your, your fathers, had never known, to humble you and to test you so that in the end it may go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength have produced this well for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And so one cycle of history when people get prosperous and wealthy they slowly begin to forget. That's interesting to me, sort of where we are culture-wise. You watch a generation of, you know, they're sort of broadly called the millennials. But a young generation is saying, you know what, there's certain types of speech that we're okay with not being okay with. And there are generations who have fought and died for the right to freedom of speech and to say something that is so offensive and so misguided, maybe even foolish, but they will die for your right to say it. That's a country that was, that's one of the very basic rights that we were given as a country. And we're watching a generation say, you know, if that speech offends me, I, I don't like that. And you carry that further, there's going to come a time when they call upon the leadership and the government to say, you know, if you don't like certain kinds of speech, we're willing to protect you from that. We'll put you in our safe space and we will keep you from hearing things that you don't want to hear. We'll keep you from hearing hateful speech. We'll keep you from it. And you watch as a generation will easily give up the rights for which their forefathers and their grandfathers Fought and died for. Now, I'm not picking on anybody, but why does that happen? Because through the generations of comfort and wealth, we become very forgetful. And that's not just in America in 2018. That's been through every generation of people. They get to be strong, prosperous, wealthy. Then they become lazy and soft and forgetful. There's a, uh, a saying that says, it uh, starts out with hard times make strong men. Strong men make for good times. Good times make for soft men. Soft men bring hard times. Everything changes. Everything goes in cycles. It was true with God's people then, it's true with God's people today. May we not fall into the temptation of living in a good, wealthy, prosperous land, thinking that we have produced anything for ourselves, or forgetting what God has done for us. Because as we begin to forget, we enter into the cycle of going into hard times. Now, the true great gift... There's, I need to back up and say, there's nothing wrong with living in a good and prosperous and wealthy land. So long as the people who live in the land don't forget the one who brought them there. They don't forget the, their creator. Their, there's nothing wrong with living in the good land as long as they don't forget the good Lord. It's important. 
No, the, the gift of grace was not the leaders, Moses or Joshua, was not the land, but rather God himself. Their strength was in God himself. It would always be, and it still is today. Go back to Joshua chapter 1. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. He was the source and would always be the source of their strength and their courage. His law was the source of their success. He would make their way prosperous. Um, Turn to Psalm chapter 1. I think we're getting ready in our adult Bible classes to uh, start into a journey of Psalms. And I don't know if we'll cover all of those, but the first one is um, maybe the best one. One of my favorites, anyway. Psalm chapter 1 tells a story of two different types of people. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. According to the psalmist in Psalm 1, the way to a blessed life has little to do with you and much to do with your relationship with with the Lord. The difference in the tree planted by streams of water and the chaff that is blown to the wind has everything to do with the relationship of those people with their Creator. One who has that relationship in abundance, and the other who has no relationship, knows nothing of the Lord nor the Lord Himself. And there's a big difference in how their lives turn out. They will have victory. Over their enemies, Psalm chapter, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 5. The Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I've commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be in fear or dread of them, for it is the Lord who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. I'm not sure if you've ever considered this, but you and I as Christians, followers of Jesus, are in a spiritual battle, whether we want to be or not. If you think perhaps of your temptations, of your trials, even, yes, of your sufferings as the work of the enemy to try to pull you back to his side. May we not forget the promise that the Lord will defeat all enemies and set them under our feet. But only he can do that. We cannot do that of ourselves. So it's not about you. It's not about where you are or how you get there or who gets you there or about what you face. It's never about the story or the characters or even the setting where the story takes place. But it is about knowing the author and having a relationship with him. I picked out a few examples Think of Abraham, Genesis chapter 15. We already referred to the covenant that was made. But in chapter 15, verse 1, 
He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Turn over to Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. He's speaking now to Moses, and at the beginning of, of his journey with the Lord, this is what he says. The, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you. Think of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. I realize going through several here, but I need to do this to make a, a point. Do not fear, he said to Isaiah, Isaiah 41.10. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The prophet Jeremiah, a young man, but in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 8, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. And will rescue you, declares the Lord. I really can't think of a single person in God's story that God didn't really work to make sure and understand that their strength, the victory, had nothing to do with who they were. Had nothing to do with the settings. Had nothing to do with their abilities. But had everything to do with who was with them. You think, well, well, God never told me that. Oh, he didn't. He didn't. Did you forget Matthew 28? Turn to Matthew 28. You probably forgot it. Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus speaking to his disciples, but also to us, for it's written in his word. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And you're like, whoa, what? God, you don't know my, I don't have that kind of knowledge. I don't have that kind of faith. I don't have that kind of influence. I mean, do you know my story? Do you know my inabilities? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay. Well, if you're with me, as you were with Abram and Moses and Joshua and Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they did all those things in spite of themselves, but because you were with them, if you ask me to baptize and make disciples and teach all nations, we can do that. Are we equipped? No. Are we able? Mm -mm. Do we have the knowledge? Ah, Probably not enough. But none of that matters. If he's with us, who can be against us? May we not forget that that promise was not just for them. It is for us as well. Psalm 46 reminds us that God alone is our refuge and strength. And so tonight I want to highlight just one takeaway, and that is this. Be strong in the Lord. And that's very different from me saying be strong. Keep your chin up. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. 
Find some strength within yourself and just do it. That's not being strong in the Lord. That's acknowledging that you fall way short, that I fall way short. But if he's with us, no one can stand against us. There are two reactions to when we think of our own abilities. There's one reaction which is, I am totally incapable and unqualified and inept for this task. Okay, That's fear. At the other end of that is, well, God certainly picked the right guy for this job. I can do it. I mean, it's, it's amazing he didn't ask me sooner. I'm so capable and able and qualified. I'm just going to help God out a little bit. This is pride. Fear and pride are at the opposite ends of the spectrum, but they both have the same root of sin. Fear is not believing that God can, and pride is believing that only you can, and that it all depends on you. And neither of those two things is good. You're not to be strong in yourself. You're not to be strong in your abilities. You are nothing. And I I want this to be an uplifting and encouraging sermon, yes, but... You are dust, as was said this morning. God made you from the dust, and he's made billions more like you, and he'll make billions more after you. You are nothing. Your strength is nothing. Your resources are so finite. You're going to wear out. You're in the process of wearing out. So if it depends on you, you should be fearful. And may God forbid that we ever have pride in ourselves. I'll give you one more, Isaiah chapter 40, and then we'll close. Isaiah chapter 40 reminds us of this important promise. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You see, if you're depending on your own strength, you will fail and quickly. But if your strength and your trust is in the Lord, you will find strength that you didn't know you have because you don't have it. It's from him. It's how all of God's people were able to do what they did, not because of who they were, but because of the strength that comes from him. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I'll close by asking you this question. Have you been trying to do it on your own? Have you been trying to obtain righteousness or perfect holiness by your own abilities, by keeping the commands perfectly, by doing things just right yourself, and you find yourself exhausted and worn out? 
and failing, perhaps God is trying to remind you that strength comes from Him. Righteousness and holiness come from Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you do not have His righteousness and holiness, you cannot have it any other way but through Jesus, and that includes through yourself. If you have not put him on in baptism, if you have not made his strength your strength, you can do that tonight. And if you have found yourself at one of these two ends of the spectrum, either in fear or in pride, pride in your own abilities or fear from your lack of abilities, you've been trusting in the wrong person. And may I gently ask you to repent and turn in your heart and in your mind and begin to trust fully and completely upon the strength and power of the Lord. If you have a need tonight, I'd like to invite you down front, and I'll pray with you and for you, and we'll be willing to do that as a family. Whatever we might do, we ask you to come as together we stand and sing.